Hello everybody and welcome to Brumbagoon. You will not get here on a road bike. It's official. Season number five is kicked off. Even if I heard somebody making one of those things, the reaction on my trailer, I'm not gonna go deep into that. I'm not really interested. I just love the way that people are already talking about the new season of the broom wagon and somebody's already on board i'm talking for example of bikai bikigi bikigi the link is down below i'm talking about the charity that this year is gonna be supported thanks to the covid jar same thing every time that we say myself or my guests the word covid or whatever related to that and now seems like it's a hot topic again well in this case i'm gonna drop a coin and everything is gonna go to bikigi ONG on the other side around. NGO from Berlin who teaches to women refugees to learn how to ride bikes. It's super amazing and they have absolutely my support. So that's somebody that is already on board, super stoked about that. And then as well, Komut who is actually supporting also this year season super excited for that as well you're gonna know more as usual about that something else nothing else just that the first episode means that i have to say again thanks a lot to everybody for listening and if you want just remember that you can go to apple Podcasts and review or rate this episode you can share it with whoever you want social media and stuff and talking about social media calamaro cc is my handle let's go into the episode today i am at alan couple of months ago I was coming back from uh, the um, Eurobike and I had to write an article about the Silk Road Monterrey's for Alvento the Italian magazine about bikes that I from time to time I write for well we spent something like three hours on the phone talking about his experience on the Silk Road Monterrey's and then I said okay it's time to have him as well on the broom wagon so we recorded and he made the debut of this season i'm super excited for that i really liked it unfortunately in the meantime alan got a really really nasty accident in mexico city or in mexico mexico city is the city where he lives and uh, he needs some support because the expenses for the hospital are kind of high this means that here down below you will find also the gofoundme related to that I think it's enough also because this is going to be a two hours episode. I'm going to kick in the episode and I'm going to talk to you at the end. Season number five, first episode. I am actually looking on a couple, actually I have three screens around me, but in the, my favorite one, I can see an amazing person with an amazing background. Hi, Alan, how are you doing? <laughs> Hello, Stefano. Buenos dias. <laughs> actually, you can see out there that there are some trees. The sun is just amazing here in city. Actually, no, in city center Talville. So 20 minutes from Zurich. It's dark already and minus two. Mexico City? Uh, it is, I think it's 13 degrees. 13 degrees, you know. It's still winter, but it's uh, the Mexican version of winter, which is much more uh, sustainable. <laughs> okay. Sounds like the place where I was born, actually. Calabria, when my mom Ooh. says it's super cold, it means that it's 10 degrees. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more or less the same. <laughs> but I mean, man, when you're not used to it, 10 degrees can really get up. It's like uh, previously living in Denmark, it's amazing how you can acclimatize to a new, new version of what cold is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people don't think of Mexico as, as this cold, uh, but we're actually at an altitude of almost 2,500 meters. It's so. Cool. That really makes this massive difference. And 
yeah, uh, it's it's fresh. <laughs> I think that actually we're gonna talk a lot about altitude because small intro here. So I'm not gonna take your job on telling you a bit more, introducing yourself, but I need to do it from myself because <laughs> then I get to warm up and I talk a bit because you know that I like to talk people. Uh, I got to know. So I, I'm talking with Alan, Alan Show, and I got to know him because I was reading all the dispatches and stuff from the Silk Road mountain race, and I read about amazing stories of you being around Kyrgyzstan and riding in altitude your Omnium bike, and uh, you were actually there telling stories. It was an Omnium bike. Did I say something? Omnium uh, cyclocross. Yeah, uh, yeah. Omnium cyclocross. Not gravel though, cyclocross. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a gravel bike, but it's a cyclocross, the Omnium CXE. Okay. And actually, I was reading about that, and then I was writing an article for Alvento, the Italian magazine that I write for. I said, okay, I need to have Alan as well uh, on my story. And then we started talking. I think that we just clicked. I mean, we talked for, I was coming back from Eurobike, and we talked for probably three hours between myself being first in Friedrichshafen, then in the train, then in Schaffhausen, then in city center Zurich, and then I spent a solid <laughs> hour outside of the station talking with you about the old stories. And then I thought, okay, Alan needs to be on the podcast telling the full and complete and comprehensive story of his life in cycling and in everything else. And then I planned to have you in the first episode, The Broom Wagon. That's why we are here. So I said, okay, I want to have Alan in my podcast, in The Broom Wagon, not my podcast, because it's our podcast, mm -hmm. talking about all mm -hmm. this story and stuff and then you had an accident so alan show we are gonna let so uh, people you're gonna you know already who he is but we are gonna let you know about the intro i just want to know now how you are doing you got an accident what's going on uh yeah i don't necessarily practice the short version of this but i'll try and give you like an idea we have uh, a lot of time <laughs> well, I was doing, uh, I'm living here in Mexico right now, uh, doing, I've been doing quite a lot of riding out around in the mountains, um, and uh, some really amazing places to ride bike trends here, and me and my partner planned to spend a, a weekend on the beach, uh, Mexico City is really in the very middle of the country, so I planned a, like, 750 kilometer, like, through the mountains uh, tour by myself, and uh, I did, I was planning on doing it in three or four days, Um and I did the first day, 240 kilometers. And then on the second day, I left my hotel at like 6.30 in the morning. And I was unfortunately uh, hit by a vehicle. Uh, it was a car, it was a truck. Very... The thing is, I, 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 the impact was so heavy that I don't have a really clear memory of the event. And I was by myself. And, nobody, and the guy, did, or the guy, the, I don't know, was driving. The driver didn't stop. Yeah. The driver, I mean, our understand, my understanding of it is that the driver did call for an ambulance um, because uh, it, was a, it was six o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. It was a very empty area. There wasn't a likelihood that another car was going to come along anytime soon. So that, I, my, the sort of logic in my, in my brain is that the, the driver called the, an ambulance and then left, uh, which is, I mean, we, we're in Mexico, guys. Like, uh, people have very complicated existences here. And if this person didn't feel like they could take the responsibility for what had happened, but they, at the very least called the ambulance, and that really was uh, was the savior. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, I got picked up by an ambulance. So I was very lucky to have been organized to come. Where I was was in a very rural area. It's like terrible, terrible sort of access to healthcare there for a very serious accident. Managed to get to transferred back to Mexico City to a good hospital and yeah turns out I broke my pelvis I broke my femur I cracked another bone on my leg um, 
and it was all a bit of a mess. But uh, I had four surgeries. Uh, I was in the hospital for uh, a little over two weeks. Uh, it was a journey. <laughs> it really went from uh, a position of not being able to do anything and being very, very uh, motionless in bed to slowly gaining back uh, movement and, and bits of independence. And now I am back home. Uh, we're just waiting for things to, a bit of healing before I can put my pressure on the pelvis. Uh, and I'm doing a lot of physio to get the sort of range of motion back in my legs. So that's where I am now. It's uh, like, I, obviously, like, there's a bit of disappointment for all the sort of plans that were laid that you were really excited about and the sort of you trajectory that you were You were planning to come over to Europe, right? Yeah, yeah. I was meant to be back in Europe now, um, working my, my working for my this bike messenger company I'm involved with in Copenhagen. Uh, and also had so many writing plans, obviously, as, as uh, you tend to do. But uh, what, like... That disappointment is like completely overshadowed by like a very profound appreciation for 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 surviving. Uh, Absolutely, because uh, given where I was and the sort of circumstance, it was it was a very serious situation that I was completely unaware of at the time. Because uh, yeah, of course, of the impact, the level of pain, I was given so much morphine. I was on a different planet today. <laughs> that's a good really, and that's really, a bad on that. <laughs> I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I'm very thankful that I have so little memory of the day because I think it's obviously quite a traumatic event. Um, but I would say that uh, uh, I, it, it was really, really thanks to the complete luck of the people I had around me who were able to help me when mm. I couldn't help myself, um, which which made me very fortunate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in general, I'm feeling pretty okay. Like obviously, all the you are smiling. You are. Do, I, I was actually <laughs> telling you off records, man. You are such an inspiration. Actually, wow. I would love to have you. your your same spirit after something bad happened like this, and you are smiling. Mm. You are giving. We are actually exchanging voice memos for the last three weeks, and mo I mm. never, never heard your voice being a bit more, let's say, in the low level than the other ones all the time. Mm. Super happy. Super grateful i would say to still be here around and having this conversation so really you are a great yeah. really great great inspiration for me oh thanks stefano that's very nice of you to say yeah. i think you know perspective perspective is a big deal and and it, perspective takes the balance of both so i still have like the the sort of nasty thoughts of like it, this sucks it sucks um but uh but, but it's completely balanced out by the fact that, that it just could have been so infinitely worse and, and relatively speaking compared to the experience of so many other people. I mean, again, like I said to you before, like Mexico is a complicated place and it, it's very good at providing perspective. Like still so many people having much harder existences than me right out there on my doorstep, you know? Um, so I, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Uh, and it's all a bit like now, like hospital was hospital. It was a very intense experience because every day was like, oh God, what's going to happen today? But, <laughs> but here at home, like uh, the, my main attribute is, is patience um, and persistence. Absolutely. And by comparison, those two, those two sort of attributes are, are just so much more chill uh, than going through the hospital thing. So nah, we're doing okay. That's great. Uh, I just want to introduce mm -hmm. this little topic straight away. We're going to talk again probably about that and stuff. The thing that probably apart from being basically on a wheelchair and having patient to recover and stuff the other thing that actually sucks is actually that the bill of the hospital went over the roof and uh, this actually a few words actually i was reading today on your social media that you're asking for uh let's say some support and so i go found me i think page on that 
Can you tell me a few words on that? And then we're going to really tackle on the conversation. I want to tackle this conversation at first because uh, at the end, we need to actually face things that we all love to ride bikes. We all love to be outside and explore, but shit can happen. And from time to time, because we like to ride our bicycles, not only we're actually, uh, let's say, health assistance and everything as a different way. We can also find ourselves in situation where probably you can ride the bike and then you can have an accident and then the insurance cannot cover everything because the thing that mm -hmm. happened it's super bad and actually I want actually to start this conversation and kick off this conversation now because it's something that we need to be aware and stuff can happen and it's always good to try to have things planned in the right way at a certain point but also be aware that things can go wrong and on the third part always keep the perspective on the right side and never think most of the time that everything sucks sometimes also we need to be grateful of what could happen and it didn't happen Oh yeah, but you get reminded of that a lot uh, yeah, <laughs> when you hang absolutely. out at the hospital. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, how to break it down. I mean, as you sort of heard from my initial uh, explanation of the accident, like things happened very fast. Things happened fast, and uh, it was very, very clear given the sort of seriousness of my my injuries that these like rural hospitals where I was did not have the facilities of the doctors or the equipment to do anything like what I needed. Uh, we reached out to all of our immediate contacts, and uh, we I, again. <laughs> I was mostly unconscious for most of the day. Yeah. This is all stuff that happened in the background. Uh, and we were recommended this hospital, which is like one of the top hospitals in the country. And they accepted our insurance policy that we had. So we're like, okay, we're insured to go to the best hospital in the country. Let's go there because obviously we need to go when time is of the essence. Uh, we got there and then uh, yeah, maybe like a week later when we started looking at like the, the sort of mounting costs of everything, started to get kind of, yeah, kind of wild. And then we realized that our insurance policy had a maximum claim limit and we were definitely going to go over it. And then, and then yeah, it just, it, 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 it snowballs crazy in the private system, which I'm, which obviously as a European person, like I'm not used to at all. Uh, I come from the UK where we have our NHS that we're all very proud of. I've been living in Denmark where they have a very strong public healthcare system as well. So we were relying on the system that we didn't really know anything about and that we just needed like the fastest possible access to, to get to stabilize my condition, right? Um, so yeah, we've gone we've gone hilariously over the limit, and we and we owe uh, uh, almost forty thousand US dollars. Um, so it, it's kind of like as a very sort of proud independent person, like it's very hard for me to sort of ask for assistance from my community. Uh, but it, but we, it's really left us with with no choice. We really need uh, we need help uh, to sort of stabilize everything. And it's also just uh, yeah, it's 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 part of the part of this uh, recovery process that I don't want to focus on so much. It's hard to stop thinking about it. Um, but really, uh, trying to keep my mind on, on the physical side of recovery. It's a, it's an interesting process. Like, it, you know, in the beginning, I freaked out about this a lot. Like, when, when I started to realize how much this was going to cost us, I freaked out a lot, a lot, a lot. But uh, ultimately, you know, the whole sort of uh, reality of the event that happened just keeps playing itself in your brain and you realize like money is money, life is life. And Absolutely. we have, we obviously have to find a way to sort of like cover these expenses in a way that doesn't like really affect us, affect us. But at the same time, like uh, you can't put a value on your life, you know? So, so uh, I, you know, my, my life is worth infinitely more. Uh, so I'm, this is, this is just where we are. You know, we accept our reality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a, that's where we are. Uh, there is a GoFundMe page online, and uh, I think we're going to try and share the link for it. Uh, 
It's going to be down in the description below. We're going to, as I would say, we're going to talk again about that, but I want to t kick off this topic from the beginning because yeah. I think it's pretty worth it. And I was saying it's worth it because it's actually a good cause, let's say, to support you on one side. And on the other side, it makes all of, uh, all of us aware that shit can go into the fan pretty fast. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and also, if I can say one word on your side, and completely like you, I like actually uh, to claim and to push on my independence and stuff. But from time to time, this thing is not a bad thing to ask for help. Let's put it in this way: in many different ways, in many different reasons, for many different reasons. But that's one of the reasons. So it's yeah. I mean, really, if there's if there's some part of this experience which is being very complete is it's not having any control you know like if, if you're used to having some level of control over your life like that goes away in this kind of experience like and you you have to give your control to other people because they need to figure it out uh so yeah this is another part where i've kind of lost control of a little bit but uh but i'm confident that everything will be gathered back around just like my my physical health you know yeah for sure for sure financial physio that's what i should be doing <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> stretching my bank card back and forth <laughs> yeah it's gonna be pretty flexible at the end of this process i think <laughs> god i hope so um <laughs> Yes. So actually, you uh, dropped a couple of little pills here around in these 15 minutes. Uh, one was, you're from UK. You mm -hmm. lived, uh, you have citizenship in, let me correct me if I'm wrong, in Denmark. Uh, residency. Residency. Citizenship takes a lot more, a lot oh. more work. <laughs> okay. Then residency in Denmark. You are in Mexico City. Uh, another couple of things that I can say that probably people don't see. And actually, you're wearing an amazing cap. So, if we want to put... I don't have actually my Gay is Okay t-shirt. I have it probably is in the laundry for now. Uh, yeah. We can actually only have one washing machine. One Put one laundry every week here. We have one laundry day, so that's why. One a week with a baby? How do you do that? And I just finished having a conversation that it was a bit, let's say, hot conversation with one of my neighbors this morning. Exactly because of that, it was not funny at all. A lot of things actually that... Where are actually in your in our startup conversation, apart from my laundry stuff? So probably it would be super beneficial for us to hear about your story. Who's Alan Shaw? Who's Alan Shaw? Um, well, I am Alan Shaw. I'm uh, 32 years old. I'm from Scotland originally. Um, for the last, I guess, 10 years, uh, I've worked primarily as a bike messenger. Um, and I've used it as a sort of vehicle for travel, uh, not just on the day-to-day. -day. So I've worked as a bike messenger in maybe uh, 9, 10, 11 different cities on one, two, three different continents um, and uh, done a, a lot of bikepacking in between. Uh, and I'm also the uh, sort of, I'm the man behind or the person behind Gays OK Cycling, which is an LGBT uh, positive uh, uh, cycling brand uh, to sort of energize and support uh, LGBT people in cycling. Um, and that's what it's sort of been you know, sort of my side project along with uh, uh, working as a messenger and traveling around the place for, I've been running with Gays Okay for oh, uh, four and a half years. Okay. Uh, and yeah, so, uh, enjoying, enjoying right, uh, the life from behind the bars. Yes. yes uh, <laughs> so actually, maybe let's start from here. Ah, no, let's start from another place. You said nine, 10 or 11 countries in three continents. Cities. Ah, okay. Okay, that's already different. So, 
Tell me a bit more about that. How actually everything went around? How happened that you started moving from one continent to the other, one city to the other? Um, I, for, for quite a while, it was mostly based on being on temporary visas. Uh, and then, like, uh, so it meant that after a time I had to leave. So I originally started being a back career in Vancouver, Canada, when, which is why some people tell me I have a sort of weird Canadian twang to my otherwise not very Scottish accent. <laughs> okay. No, you're uh, going to actually, your accent is pretty cool because it's kind of mild. Doesn't go in place, any direction. Man. It's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I started as a bike messenger in Vancouver uh, for a uh, better part of a year back in 2012. And then, uh, and then after that, I, I, I did my first bike tour to Mexico and ended up in Mexico city. Uh, and then sort of accidentally, uh, fell into a bike messenger job here in Mexico City. I was, I was only planning on being here for a short time, but I ended up being here for nearly a year. Uh, and then at some point, the, the Cycle Messenger World Championships was in Mexico City when I was living here. So I met all these bike messengers from all these cities all over the world and realized like, wow, I could, I could go all over the place and do this job. And especially with the connections I make here, like people could help me uh, find very flexible uh, work and uh and and move around the place so after after moving out of mexico city i i made my way back to vancouver and then over the course of a few years did uh worked a bit in toronto i worked in uh, sydney i did some work in new york i actually worked in milan and italy for a time and then i did like little picked up days of work in like a handful of other cities on top of this and then eventually ended up in copenhagen mm -hmm. And uh, I lived in Copenhagen for four years, got involved with Biespressen. They're a really amazing sort of cooperatively owned or worker-owned uh, uh, company there. And I was there during a time of crazy growth uh, where we went from being a small, a small company in the city to being a, the biggest company in the city with a, as a bike fleet. Uh, uh, managing the chaos. It's a really fun job. It's, uh, it's very fast moving. You've got to like, change your plans really, really quickly. Uh, and you're going to be ready for anything. Uh, and then you get this really, really fascinating perspective on, on the city, especially as a traveler. Like, uh, you get this constantly moving perspective of the city all day long. Uh, and it's completely up to you, the route you take. But you start to get to know the city really well. And there's always so many new things to discover uh, as, as a sort of moving landscape, moving urban landscape. Um, but you end up getting to know the city on a much more intimate level than people who've lived there for years, you know. So if you're only there for a short time, maybe six months or less, uh, working as a bike messenger is an amazing way to get to know a city on a really, on a really, uh, yeah, like detailed level, you know. Yeah. And then on top of that, as a as a young, you know, young Scottish man who comes from a tiny country with very little buildings, working in North America and just getting a free license to go up to the 75th floor of some crazy skyscraper and getting this view over that crazy cityscape. Uh, it was like free free tourism that I was getting paid to do, you know. Um, so I really fell in love with the bike messenger job for a long time because uh, it was just such a fascinating way of sort of faking your way into a city. Like, I didn't know anything about these places, but people were like, go here and talk to that person and give them this. And you just got to go there and, uh, and sort of ride the wave, you know. Uh, yeah. Never boring. Something very brutal. You have yeah. to work really hard for not very much money. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, actually, as far, the faster you are, the better it's going to be. You're paid at the end of the day, but just at the end of the day, right? Mm. And if you overdo one day, probably you're going to do less the day after. It's complicated. Mm. It's, 
I think it, it, it varies so much depending on who you work for. A lot of companies now in Europe work to like uh, work to hourly rates or work to oh. at least a minimum of an hourly rate, which means you always have a guarantee. Um, but it's, and then there's other jobs that are commission-based where people make good money because they've been there for a long time. So they get the very agreeable uh, trips that, are, uh, that pay well. And then as a as the as the as the new guy as rookie, which I predominantly was for most of the yeah, time, yeah, moving for all the cities for sure, for, for for so long, yeah, fast is the game because you're you're really getting fed the work that no one else wants to do, uh, and you gotta you gotta really hustle for it. Um, but the hustle is very fun, especially in the summer. Uh, hustle in the winter is a bit brutal, but uh, generally there's more work around in the winter, and uh, uh, a good opportunity to make make a bit of money then. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's a fascinating job. It yeah. really is. And I, and I think if you've spoken to sort of bike messengers in the past, like uh, people talk very fondly of it as a, as a job uh, because it's different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it's super good. Actually, I have to say, I actually was not thinking of going into this direction, but let's go there. So this is actually... I actually produce many podcasts, but basically the broom wagon. Too much experience. <laughs> so let's say, <laughs> but uh, the broom wagon is actually something like I would say the child of my first cycling podcast that was called the Spin Cake, where I was telling the story of my Spin Cake. Yes, from short spins and cake to the fixed world forty-two world championship. Now, the Fixed 42 World Championship is the unofficial world championship on fixed gear happening in Berlin, usually around June. And, right, okay. And the story for me there was uh, how somebody that didn't really so much read um, road fixed gear in his life can go to do this thing that even being unofficial is still a world championship, right? And so actually mm -hmm. I thought, what's the best to make things happen in this way? then moving in the direction of uh, really uh, talking with people that are experienced in uh, riding fixed gear in traffic or whatever. So basically it was more or less a podcast talking with people in the bike messenger world. And I talked, for mm. example, with Mo of Kyrie in Berlin, The, I think it's not there anymore. Unfortunately. Yeah, I think now he's still traveling in Southeast Asia. From time to time, I talk I with him. I think he's in Japan. He's uh, Japan now. now. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Yeah. amazing. The pleasure of meeting yeah. It was great. It was an amazing conversation. Then I talked with the people that were organizing at that time, the ECMC, I think it's called, the European Bike Messenger uh, Championship. ECMC. ECMC yeah. uh, in Stettin. And then from the ones I, I that... I came first place in Stettin. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's super great. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So my, yeah. One of my most grand successes. Ah, really? <laughs> so I talked with them because it was happening the day after. And then I talked with the guys that were actually organizing the ACMC the year that I made the, uh, the podcast. Now I don't remember the time. I think it was 2016 or 2017. I don't remember. 2017 okay. probably was Stettin, I think. I've, uh, yes, it was. Well, 2018, 2017, one of these ones. One of these ones. Okay, <laughs> no, 17 was the year that I was recording, you're right. And Vienna. I, Vienna, yes. I talked with Vienna, the Vienna yeah. guys there. Then I talked mm -hmm. with 
I don't remember her name, but there was the organizer of the World Championship at the Wear in Canada, Vancouver, can it be? Montreal. You Montreal. Talk to Kelly. Exactly. With Kelly. Exactly. <laughs> See, I talk we with... all know each other. <laughs> and now I, we are talking about, so actually I talk with all these people, then I talk as well with JC, I think his name, I don't remember his name, who is the organizer of the Monster Truck in New York, the uh-huh, probably the most uh-huh, famous uh-huh. syndicate in the world, and blah, Fixed blah, blah. certainly, yeah. Yeah. And so actually, and now we're talking about that. So I feel like, okay, we are making another edition. It's good to do it on the first episode of the season. (laughs) But we're doing something like a second edition of the Spin Cake. And that's super great. And I remember at that time, (laughs) I was consuming a lot of videos. I was watching stuff and blah. And I remember that I was actually... Ah, by the way, uh, little brackets here. Also, my nickname, Calamaro, comes from the Squid that is actually one uh-huh. of the most famous bicycle messengers in New York because I interviewed him. That's uh, where your name comes from? Yeah. From Squid? Uh, one of the reasons why. I have three reasons. Okay. One is this because okay. actually hey. it was one of the first interviews that I've done. Not on a podcast, but He's it was... also a wonderful man. Wonderful man. Awesome. We actually had a couple <laughs> of chats because it was a new written interview. I don't know where it is anymore. In one some magazine mm-hmm. and stuff. Amazing. And actually was telling me a lot about that he had to work his ass off, especially in Christmas even if the weather mm-hmm. in New York is horrible, but he was making most of, of the money out of there for Christmas. And, Absolutely. And this was really a great, great conversation. So this is one of the reasons why Calamaro, the other one, because I always like actually uh, the way that Calamaros make our living of, and it's basically using the, the ink, right? It's using the ink to defend themselves. Uh-huh. So this one uh-huh. is another reason. Uh, but that's way, deep. That's a deeper one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a bit more. That's a bit more. And yeah, but by the way, actually, this was the spin cake. And yes, in that period, I was actually also watching a video from this guy Jimmy that I think is the guy behind Omnium, right? And Jimmy Jumbo. Yes, Jumbo. Exactly. <laughs> the video of him going into the city of uh, of Copenhagen as a bike messenger. Ah, uh, it's called like the fastest cat in town or something like this. It's an old messenger. Super uh, old. I highly recommend. Highly recommend to go see. It. Not to say anything about Jumbo's age. He's a he's a very youthful man, but uh, it's a it's quite an old video. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's still working as well. He works for the same company as uh, as I was working for in in uh, Copenhagen. And he's, he's still on the road for he's still a bicycle a, long... a bike messenger. I mean, I wouldn't say it's how he makes his money. Uh, you know, uh, Omnium is a is a very successful and excellent uh, company. But uh, but he, you know, he still enjoys the. He still has a, a quite a big passion for the job, so he still works at least one or two days a week, uh, and has always done. Uh, Just for fun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Stretch his legs, get away from uh, all the all the other responsibilities he's got. <laughs> that's really great that's really great no but as I was saying I think it's I don't know seems like a lot of people that were navigating into this we can we call it subculture of cycling they actually yeah, made the move around to arrive everybody on the same place that is basically enjoy cycling as an activity to stay a social activity to stay together with amazing people uh an activity that means as well um staying outdoor and enjoy most of the time life there and also traveling the world and that's super amazing man there's a lot of complexity to it and i think if you get very passionate about it as a job then you can also do a very good job at always convincing yourself why it's such a good reason, you know, why there's reasons to keep doing it, you know, like, especially being more, you know, being more involved in the running of a company, you, you really do get this feeling of like, 
we are also doing great positive changes in the city. Like uh, as, a, as a bike only fleet, uh, we are reducing the amount of trucks in the city and we're uh, improving the livability of the city, which is a nice little, uh, which feels good uh, as a work, you know, that you're really making a positive contribution. Then I also think like uh, people talk a lot about the sort of freedom, but I would maybe be more specific and say like autonomy, like you are so autonomous when you're out on your bike even though you have somebody telling you where to go, <laughs> you it, you experience your day completely freely. It's like, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do this first. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, personal freedom to, to your day, which is really enticing as a job, you know? Yeah. So you don't have somebody over your shoulder telling you what, what to do and when to do it. Mm-hmm. Just have them in your ear and you can still do what you want. <laughs> no, that's really great. But actually, I have a question. I think that you are the perfect person to ask this question because it's a doubt that I always had in my mind. Oh, pressure. A bit, a bit. Uh, in your experience of Bicycle Messenger, and seems like anyways, you went through a lot of the changes that this profession, I would say, uh, mm. went through. Uh, how everything changed with the introduction of the application for food delivery? Mm. It was a kind of, That's I think you were talking about 2012, question. right? You were talking about yeah. 2012. I think the 2012 is quite a different way of being bike messenger than 2021. And you're not only yeah. talking about e-bikes. I'm talking about something a bit deeper. Yeah, for sure. It's, I, think, I think it's also just changed so much based on where you are as well. Like the whole North American model of bike messenger is very paper-based and envelope-based, like small bits of paper. Um, and, and obviously, with, just with the sort of like creeping enormous encroachment of the internet, a lot of that work is depleted. Um, and then, and then also depends if you work for like an established old, like old established company, these like old courier firms from like the eighties, they're really only special ever specialized in, in paper. And, or if you work for a younger company, um, because in terms of the food thing, like, uh, most career companies are not specializing in food. So that's kind of like over there, like, uh, food, like, uh, it's kind of separate, but, but the sort of the internet as a, as a, and also Amazon, like these kind of applications where people just find things uh, and get them delivered around the place. Uh, expectations have changed, but also the things you deliver kind of change. And I, the company I'm working with in Denmark, we are uh, predominantly majority, majority uh, cargo. And mm. um, so it's not just envelopes, it's kind of anything. Um, and then instead of working with uh, companies that are like, you know, law firms, and architecture companies, which we still work with, but you know, these are like the t- and banks and financial institutions, offices, like these are the traditional clients of career companies and they're just sending contracts and statements and these kind of things back and forward. Now we work with a lot more independent companies um, uh, small businesses and then you, and then designers and fashion houses and things that require physical goods to move around and not just paperwork. Um, so I think that the stuff you deliver changed so much, like, when I worked in Canada in 2012, it was so much paper. I had a little sling bag and I would deliver like really enormous checks between very rich, you know, uh, buildings. And, you know, 10 years later, I have a cargo bike and a massive backpack and I'm delivering like boxes of clothes and like PR companies nonsense and, <laughs> you know, uh, spices and foods, uh, but on a wholesale market and then, you know, uh, I think before I started working as a cargo career, when I was working predominantly paper, that kind of boring list of like, what's the weirdest stuff you've ever delivered or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years at B Express in Copenhagen, like my list is just so confused now. Like every day you turn up at something and they'll hand you something and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like I've delivered like full trees 
and uh, no way. office setups, like three seater sofas, like you know, like a uh, sandbox is filled with chocolate milk. Like every day, it's just like you you turn up and you've never you've no idea what's going to be handed to you, and that's also part of the enjoyment of it. Like uh, <laughs> like you got to be ready for anything. Uh, I think, especially during busy rushes, like you know. Uh, I think my favorite term was uh, that I used to hear from my from my dispatcher was always like, "See how much you can take, you know, oh. see how much you can fit," because that's just like, okay, uh, Copenhagen is a small city; you can get around it pretty quick. So the challenges that end up becoming like the cargo Tetris game of like, how much stuff can you physically fit on a bicycle? And okay, uh, stretch that limit pretty far at times. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Um, what's your role, actually? What's your role in the career company that you're still involved with? Oh, that's a good... I think <laughs> my official role... What would my official role be? I guess now it might be some kind of operational manager or something. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, uh, I've, thought of, I, I've done a lot of background work for many different areas of the company in the past. Um, and then in more recent months, uh, you know, we're trying to include a greater amount of people in the company always because... I think that there's one thing that's true about messenger work is that it can be quite transient. So you have in any company or in any community of messengers, you end up having like maybe, maybe only like 30% or 35% that are going to stick around for like a more than a year or something mm. like this. And okay. then you have this big majority of people that are just, uh, they're just uh, young people riding the bike for fun, but eventually they're going to want to do school and stuff. It's very common that people do it after, university or after uh, finishing school or, or college or whatever but eventually they move on so um, even within the, the sort of organizational structure of a company uh, it's important to always be trying to teach more people to take on tasks because you know that eventually the same people won't be around forever um, so uh, at the moment I don't necessarily have a super active role in the company uh, but it sort of varies as someone who has like a certain level of knowledge of how mm -hmm. the company operates so you still uh, you still participate you know yeah and mexico city mm, mexico city are you also doing some yeah are you doing also some career job here now in mexico city or you came um, or this no, something not currently i have done the occasional delivery for friends who have companies okay <laughs> who've been a little short at times time because i have a car my cargo bike here and i'm sort of going around there are definitely options uh there's some options available to me um although i think it's not necessary i think this might be a time when uh, I want to sort of try other things um, and focus my sort of bicycle time being more concentrated on like epic journeys out in the mountains rather than the day-to-day -day of tiring yourself out busting around a city it's a it's a tough life as a messenger here um, you know uh, the, the wages are not great the air quality is not great uh, and the city is ginormous um, and yeah. people have an and people have an expectation of, of paying you absolutely nothing to, to do quite a lot for them <laughs> um, But yeah, Mexico City is, is otherwise an excellent city to ride a bicycle in um, and highly recommend. It may surprise people, but uh, it's a fantastic city to ride a bike in, especially if you're a bike messenger or otherwise are confident in traffic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something that actually is fading away from me. Actually, I was living in big cities mm. before. Mm. I was living in Berlin and actually I was a bit more confident, especially with all the helicopter training that I had to do in order to be a bit more confident with the fixed <laughs> gear. But now here in Zurich, yeah. I can tell here in Zurich, okay, it's uh, it's a different playground. People are as aggressive mm. as in a big city, but for sure it's you can always still bike lanes are separated from traffic a lot. And yeah, but there's less traffic, I guess. No, there's still a lot of traffic if you go around the city. Mm. Here there are mm. there is a different perspective and time 
and say time slots for um, something like high rush and with a lot of traffic time. If in Berlin, for example, okay. is right now, uh, it's around nine o'clock in the morning. Here is at seven, and if in Berlin is okay. the way back, it's seven o'clock. Here is at four thirty because four. people yeah, yeah, yeah. they have a different way of, of driving into the city. But people are mm -hmm. as aggressive, even if more aggressive. And I'm not talking only about people in Berlin, so Northern Europe. I'm talking about also Rome and stuff. They are as aggressive as people in Rome. Yeah. And uh, mm. and probably wow. when I moved from so when I moved to Berlin, I had actually in my background still all the things that I had in mind when I was living in Bologna, when I was living in Rome, and blah blah blah. I was as aggressive as I could be there in order to mm -hmm. find my space, elbow out my space. Mm -hmm. Here now, probably I get a bit softer and actually older. And I actually <laughs> the point is that here you are getting softer easy because we you can always find a small road that goes around and there is no traffic. You can make it chill. Yes. Yeah. And it's as fast as being in city center. So, yeah. Uh -huh. It's, it's way acceptable. Better. Yeah, absolutely. It's way better. But on the other side, actually, following your evolution in this case, and probably following as well the evolution of Pot Stefano talking about cycling and podcasts, seems like a lot of, as I was saying, a lot of the part of the bicycle, something like the career, uh, bike messenger, uh, people, they just moved a bit as well into bikepacking and stuff. How was your evolution on that? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it depends if we're talking about bikepacking or bikepacking, like racing. or uh, But bikepacking, bikepacking for me has always been a little, quite a symbiotic relationship along with being a bike messenger. Okay. The, this first bike tour I did was after my first year being a bike career. And I rode from Vancouver to Mexico, then the, then the west coast of the U.S. Um and then, yeah, I, I, I liked finding a way to connect dots of where I was being or going by exploring the country and the wider continent uh, where I was uh, with my bike as opposed to other methods of transport. So I ended up taking quite a lot of flights to travel and get around. Places, okay. Did a lot of cycling around the place and it became really a nice way of spending your you know, downtime from being a bike messenger. But I'd also describe it as like, you know, uh, the sort of like anxiety of a dog playing fetch it's, you know like your dispatcher's throwing the tennis ball for you all the time and you're just like running to get the tennis yeah. ball and then when you're taking your downtime your break you're just out for a walk and no one's uh, making you go anywhere mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so going out on a bike ride but i set my own terms on it um was uh, was also like a, a deep sense of personal freedom and then also you know being a bike messenger uh keeps you in a good base of uh, physical fitness absolutely um, doesn't mean you're necessarily as fit as you should be for like a very ambitious bike tour, but it gives you a good base to start from. Um, and uh, if there was anything that the bike messenger thing taught me that I was sort of already mentioned is that it really, like, it really opened my eyes in the way that you can really discover a place uh, by traveling through it on your bike. Um, and there was just so many, given where I was in all these interesting places, it was always just a cool opportunity to, to go do much more of that. So I did a lot of traveling around the places that where I was living. Um, and, and took the opportunity as much as I could. Uh, I, I I really uh, I really like I really like bikepacking. It's also really funny, like given that you know I really like how it's been called. It's like my introduction to bikepacking. I think is more recent because before we used to call it bike touring. Yes, it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, and bikepacking as a term is quite recent, I think. But it's really cool how. Uh, going from you know back in 2012, I had like a funny little trailer that I pulled behind my bike because uh, I, I didn't know anything else, and then I had panniers for a while, and it's only been in more more recent years, maybe in the last sort of four or five years, that I graduated to the sort of like bike packing aesthetic, 
and I must also say that I've, uh, for my first years of, of bike travel, I had the worst bikes, like the shit, like, sorry, not to swear, the, the worst, the worst were the bikes. same bikes uh, that you were using for working. Yeah, absolutely. Like trash. <laughs> but it's also like, uh, and I should also preface this by saying like, uh, that where I have a big passion for riding bikes. Um, I've never been a very passionate mechanic. Uh, ah, yeah, I feel you. Uh, uh, so, and it's never really bothered me. I, I've learned over the years, like having better bike makes cycling way easier. Like, okay, I've, I've now put those two together. But in the beginning, I just had so much passion and energy for it that uh, I didn't care. You put me on a bike, off I go. Uh, and I did my first couple of bike tours on like $100 Craigslist finds uh, that had like shifters on the down tube and had like really inappropriate gear ratios that i didn't know anything about and people would talk to me about how bad my bikes were and everything would just go over my head because i was just like ah whatever it works <laughs> it goes uh, and then in more recent years i've been very fortunate to have been uh, sponsored by a few uh, sort of independent bike brands who've helped me get very affordable or otherwise paid for uh, much nicer bikes um which have been a complete game changer but uh, for example i I, I, in 2014, uh, I cycled from New York uh, back to Vancouver in Canada, or to Seattle and then up like, across the country. Uh, and I, when I got to Montana, um, I had I got a really bad, I, I had my pedal break and I needed to get to a bike shop, but the, the next bike shop was like over 100 miles away. So I hitchhiked, and when I got all, out of my hitchhike, the person who gave me a ride like pointed at this little part of my head tube and he was like, does that crack ever give you a problem? Ooh. And I was like, oh, okay. and that, my frame was covered in stickers because it was such an ugly bike that I covered it in stickers. And I peeled off of one of the stickers and I had like a 240 degree crack in the head tube. Oh, I still had like a thousand miles left of this bike tour and I must have, and I was like really redlining it on money at the time because uh, I knew that I would get back to work as soon as I arrived in Canada and I was going to be there in like a few weeks. So I, I had no money and I didn't know what to do. And I was in the middle of nowhere, uh, Montana. And I, I talked to this mechanic who convinced me uh, that the best idea on a little budget was to use this tape that you use to seal water pipes. Oh, yeah. So it's like non-adhesive. It's like a bonding, like you stretch it and it bonds around itself. And we just used a full roll of tape and we rolled it around my bike and uh, off I went and I did another. The full frame. Just around the head tube, like head tube, head tube, down tube. Head tube, head tube, top tube, head tube, head tube, down tube. Like, did it work? It worked. It took me another thousand miles across the US and across the Rockies. I will say that uh, it worked, you know, but I had to stop using my front brake because it got to the point where you tap the front brake and you could see the fork start to shake. And you're like, oh, we've, uh, oh we've, cracked all, we've cracked all the way through this, <laughs> this right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, for this reason, I'm a very big advocate for, in terms of bikepacking of, of it being something everyone can do. Um, and can do use any machine. And I think when people who are less experienced tend to talk to you about bikepacking, one of the very first things they want to talk about is how, how far do you go every day and how much does bike cost? And what I hear when I hear those questions is I hear like, tell me how I can't do this. You know, like they want to hear like an impossibly high mileage and they want to pay, they want to hear like an amount of money that they could never possibly afford to mm. pay. Um, but what I always want to tell people immediately is like, you can do this on any bike and you can do any amount of mileage you want. Uh, and even a, a long journey, like a thousand kilometers, if you just do like 60 kilometers a day on your shitty bike, like you will get there. Not even in that long a period of time, right? Uh, so I believe in bike touring, bike packing, and being a really, really accessible and like physically empowering uh, thing that uh, 
I'm very encouraging of, of everyone everyone who wants to ask me about it. Or, you know, like, yeah, no, I can tell you that actually I'm completely with you on that. We have to stop talking about cycling and backpacking as blah, 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 like things that are not accessible, if not for a certain amount of money. That is the, that's not the spirit. The spirit is jump on the bike. There's already so much of this in the rest of cycling. In everything. Like, so much not of only the rest cycling. of cycling is, is yeah, 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 sure. Like like so much of, of like mainstream cycling ends up feeling super inaccessible to people because it has this elitism and this need to spend large amounts of money. And like leave leave bikepacking alone. <laughs> like let us keep that. That's for everyone, you know. Like tra traveling by bike is like a very every man's uh, sort of uh, recreation. I remember that I was interviewing this guy and nothing nothing north on the instagram and we we're talking about his traveling so he's from new zealand and uh, he traveled mm -hmm. in the all i think he made actually the old south american yeah south america and mm -hmm. and he actually went with this bike that he bought secondhand it was mm -hmm. an no i don't remember ecr i think anyways it's thirdly okay and he bought it uh -huh. secondhand um the thing that actually told me is that yeah i did this thing uh i bought it from this guy and actually i could bargain extra the price because i didn't have 200 bucks i don't remember what told me and then mm -hmm. i kept for i don't know many thousand miles through the all mountains in south america and the bags that they put on my frame I made them themselves. I made them myself. Uh, so, so nice. he sued it and he went through a, tra a trip that it was something like a couple of years. Now I don't remember it, but two or three years because he's a teacher. He's still a teacher at, I think, his primary school or stuff like this. So he didn't have so much money. And so he mm -hmm. made these things and he still made his own adventure. And it's an adventure that you can really talk about. He wrote books about that. There are like a couple of articles mm -hmm. on uh, bikepacking.com. And he bought second-hand bike and he sued the, the bags himself. Why not? Mm -hmm. Why do you really need to put also everything that is not accessible? Of course, if you have the money you want to have access, please mm -hmm. go ahead, do it. But if you don't have it, don't feel afraid of starting a new trip just because you don't have the best of the best of the gears. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you're really passionate about what you're doing, uh, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious uh, with the level that you want to attain, right? And, and I think... Uh, and there's so much inspiration out there for, for how you can apply your ambition and do some really epic things. But it's also like, uh, you know, bike packing, bike touring is, is so diverse. Uh, it's so diverse. And there's, and there's some really amazing and super relatable stories on both sides, right? Like uh, I also had a, a friend who was a bike messenger back in Canada who the first time he did a bike tour before his bike career, he didn't want to buy too much stuff either. And uh, in terms of his baggage, he had this silly little rack on the back of his like rubbish bike and he uh, 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 zip tied like the the drying tray that where you put the plates when, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're drying your plates after washing them like this drying tray he just like zip tied it to the rack and then and then bungee corded a backpack on top of that and was like we're good Let's go. <laughs> and he toured across the whole of the u.s like this and it's like so such a non-optimal scenario but uh, but he totally made it work and had a great time no that's super great <laughs> talking about before getting also because you touch base on that also on races and stuff but before that talking about bike touring Tell me a couple of good ones and a couple of episodes that happened during one of those good ones. Uh, uh, I think uh, what's been really nice in, is in the last couple of years, because I've been based in one place, so not basing my tours more solely on like my geographical vacation, is I've been able to sort of get together with a really good group of friends and we've been able to go to some really sort of like uh, more out there parts of the world uh, in the winter, our winter tour. Oh, wow. Uh, so last in, over the course of three years, we did a tour in Sri Lanka where I took Ooh. my cargo bike, 
which was wow. really amazing to cargo bike tour in Sri Lanka. Uh, we also did a, a tour across Colombia, which was a really crazy mental uh, uh, sort of experience. And then we also toured across uh, Morocco, following the Atlas Mountain route that had a sort of a fun touring pace. Yeah. Uh, and then during the not during winter, but during the uh, during the the pandemic, we during why did I even say that during last summer? Uh, during it's last okay, summer. it's okay. We need to drop <laughs> coins here. I have a charity that I have support to support. Bike IG. All the time that we are mentioning COVID, they're dropping a coin. All the donation, anyways, the, the description below. All the donation are gonna go from my side to them. Go ahead. <laughs> Perfect. So during last summer, uh, when a lot of countries weren't necessarily open for visiting, um, me and a group of friends from Copenhagen did a tour in Norway, where we rode from the south of Norway all the way up to Trondheim and back. And yeah, like these places that you go out of your way to go go find. Uh, yeah, they're they're in crazy. They're crazy epic. Uh, Sri Lanka was really an experience um, with the tea fields and the tiny villages and these small back roads and. Uh, my very good friend Yoyo, who does a lot of our routes, uh, picks a lot of very colorful routes. So you end up in some very strange and interesting places. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, but uh, yeah, super, super unforgettable experiences. Um, and then a few years ago, also, I mean, I've done quite a lot of bike touring. Like a, a few years ago, uh, in 2019, I had the great pleasure of uh, delivering two of my very best friends' wedding rings. Uh, by bicycle from Copenhagen to their wedding uh, just south of Lisbon. Um, and I also did all my cargo bike and I toured across the whole of Europe and crossed the Alps, crossed the Alps three times and crossed the Pyrenees for something like 14 times. I did the whole Pyrenees back and forward. Uh, and I did something like 5,200 kilometers in six weeks on my cargo bike. Wow. Uh, and that was one of my, one of my very favorite trips I've done just because Cross continent is a very powerful experience, you know. Like uh, doing great distances is is really powerful. When you get towards the end, and you realize how, how far you've traveled, uh, and then it's just like yeah, you you have so much nice time alone, uh, and your life is so. In, in in touring in general, I think one of the things I really like is just the simplicity of it. Like your daily tasks are pretty pretty simple, uh, and then I think where people often tell you like, oh, you must have so much time to think. I think one of my favorite things about bikepacking is. I don't do a lot of thinking. <laughs> you focus on your breath, you focus on your body, you focus on your, your direction of travel and, and what you might eat next. And, and you don't fill your mind with all your other preoccupations, you know? Like, Sounds perfect. And actually, it's the yeah. classic mantra, right? Uh, ride, eat, sleep, repeat. Repeat. <laughs> I also want to add, enjoy the view. Oh, it's such an important element for me. Yeah. <laughs> such an important element. Uh, yeah, you get to see so many beautiful things, really, truly. Yeah, and such diversity to it as well. You know, I can imagine from Denmark that has a landscape arriving until Portugal, crossing the Alps, crossing the Pyrenees, crossing Spain, and everything close there. Changing so many different languages back and forth. Yeah. And I speak Spanish. How many languages I do you speak, man? A... That's a question that ah. I need to ask you. So Danish, this, English, French, uh, Spanish, ah. no, <laughs> Italian. No. I, I can speak English, I can speak Spanish, um, and I can speak Scottish uh, when the, the mood takes me. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, my Danish is not great, but okay. it's got a certain level of understanding. I understand a certain level of German. But uh, no, I mean, I, if, if I'm going to be like, like, if anyone wants to test me on languages, like, I'm going to say English and Spanish. And that's okay. Like <laughs> but, uh, but during that tour, it was quite funny because I was only really in Spain for, for a relatively short period of this tour. And I remember the first day that I crossed into Portugal and got to the first town and was like, Oh, 
can't speak to anyone again. <laughs> I had this very short period where I could where I could, could have nice conversations with locals and then went back to the we don't speak the same language vibe. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah. But that was also very interesting in different places. Like we were very lucky when we were in Colombia that I could speak Spanish. We were really lucky in Morocco that Kelly was a nice person that yes, you spoke to. Yes, yes. I, don't, I didn't talk with her actually. I have not been talking with her for ages. If you talk with her, just say that if she remembers me that I say goodbye. Hi, sorry. Hi, I yeah. say hi. <laughs> yeah yeah well they were uh they yeah the, yeah of course well i'm lucky to have uh, fairly frequent contact with them um but they uh yeah they were on this they were on a tour in morocco and speak french because they're from uh, montreal of course uh so that was also very helpful and then there was like the one in between which was sri lanka which is like <laughs> uh, we actually had a very good friend of ours from mumbai who joined us on this tour uh sachi a uh, great guy uh but but then we had the confusion of all the sri lankans thinking that he was our tour guide because he looked like uh, he could be Sri Lankan, but he didn't speak Tamil or any local language. So we, uh, Sri Lanka was like the wild card where none of us spoke anything. <laughs> oh, wow. That's uh, great. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty challenging, yeah. uh, but really beautiful people there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just want to ask you a technical question, Alan, and then we're going to talk about actually a bit of uh, racing and stuff. And still, we have gays okay to talk. So, people, uh, take, be our podcast. Exactly. Be our podcast. Uh, take your time, <laughs> take your time, people, because and f- put yourself in a comfortable situation because it's going to take some time. Uh, the technical <laughs> thing is that you're saying that actually you travel a lot of time with a cargo bike. Yeah. What, uh, how does it work logistically? Because I also interviewed one guy and actually I met him completely randomly then after talking with him blah blah blah, i met him in nice this um, this summer but that's another story that's the beautiful part of talking about bikes and talking with people that rides bike that ride bikes is that you can find them anywhere and that's amazing back (laughs) (laughs) back um cargo bike logistically how does it work how heavy is your cargo bike when you're traveling it's a good question um you, you've gathered I'm not a very technically minded person or I don't work in specifics. We're kind of the same like on an, that. <laughs> uh, and and I, uh, what I would say is uh, uh, agreeable way to travel with a cargo bike for, for the first uh, instance is to own an Omnium cargo bike. Um, a lot of other cargo bike brands have very chunky frames um, that cannot be disassembled and then you're, you're sort of stuck with this like size of a bike frame even if you dismantle the whole bike that is very hard to fit in a, ba- a box which is going to be accepted by an airline um, but an Omnium bike you can remove the, the front rack and you can remove both the wheels um, and then obviously most of the other components as well but once you've taken off the front wheel I mean even if you choose not to take off the fork um, just taking off the front rack and both of the wheels it ends up fitting in a box which is not like a, I've often traveled with mountain bike boxes that I've still chopped down because what you end up needing is just like an extra bit of length mm. um, uh, but uh, but you uh, but you can you can chop the bike down in height because it's not very tall yeah. and most bike boxes by airlines uh, through through a lot of experience I know this uh, like most airlines uh, work in overall dimensions of the box uh, so as long as your overall dimensions are within a certain size it, they don't it doesn't matter and then uh, what's important to mention is that they're it's a bicycle so you, i've never never had had to talk my way into any kind of checking scenario like as long as your bike is within weight and within size it will go on the go on the thing I, i'm pretty sure uh, if i'm going just on the components of my bicycle alone it's a little less than 20 kilos or it's, it's around 20 kilos. It must be less. Ask Dumbo, he'll know. <laughs> but then obviously you put as much extra stuff in the box as you can. So I, I always try and maximize my, my weight limit, you know, because you're paying for it. Yeah. Actually, I was uh, talking with, with, with Mario, our common friend. 
Velo Mario here from Bern, mm-hmm. and he was telling me actually bragging a bit uh, that his <laughs> Omnium bike is a, around. Weighs nothing. He's told me this story too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember if he the said twelve or sixteen. Omnium bike in the world. Oh, it must be. It must be twelve. Must be twelve. It must be twelve. Because it's still titanium and so much carbon. Like uh, yeah, he's got an impressively <laughs> light. He's obsessed by um, that. He's building some uh, yeah. wheels for me, and actually. Most of the time, he sends me messages with the weight of the full. I, you know, if I want to shave weight of my bikes, actually on the combination of the bike and the rider, I usually skip the cert. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's yeah, the that only way sense. that I can, scale, that I can actually <laughs> shave weight there. Or I can shave my beard as well, but that's something that is not in the plan yet. <laughs> minimal gains. Minimal gains. Minimal gains. <laughs> no, but no, it's super cool. And actually, yeah, I don't know. And. I'm super fascinated by traveling on a cargo bike because, I don't know, it's a different way of doing stuff and you're so much flexible on that. I think uh, it's such a fun way to bike tour. Mm. It's, such a fun, uh, it's such a fun way to bike tour. Like, especially when you think about, like, I'm, I'm definitely very fortunate now that I've sort of over time acquired like some very good bikepacking equipment that I feel like I can really, I can really easily carry all the stuff I need. But uh, prior to that, and also during that, like it's just so super chill uh, to just throw a backpack on the front of a. Absolutely, it's the easiest. Uh, yeah, and I also like my cross my cross continent, my cross Europe trip on my cargo bike, and and also when we went to Sri Lanka, I never changed the bike from a standard setup. Okay. Um, which I would not necessarily recommend. Like uh, I think it's good to have a, a different kind of cassette where you can climb mountains like easier. Uh, but I didn't. I chose not to do that because I didn't feel like it. And uh, like with all bike tours, you like uh, you uh, your your um, physical fitness gets up to the level that you, of the challenge you've set yourself. You know, um, and I feel like it's 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 a really chill ride. Maybe it's a bit slower, but it's a uh, it's a chill ride. I also did a lot of gravel roads, and it, it took the gravel uh, wow. really well. Uh, and now the newer the newer Omnium cargo bikes have have clearance for much wider tires, uh, and and it's like every bike in the world. Yeah, yeah, go wide, go go big, go, yeah. go home. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, let's go a tiny bit into that. The Silk Road Monterey. Yes. What happened Silk there? Uh, actually, I can tell two stories because I have an ego that is bigger than his room. <laughs> it's uh, not that big a room to be fair <laughs> it's not, that's the point that's the point can be bigger my ego uh, the room can be bigger my ego can be bigger um, <laughs> two things actually the first doesn't start from my ego but actually it was everybody there if you want there is an amazing interview of Alan and my friend Max did it on grabgrab.cc and he was telling there something that I didn't know because I was as well on that Atlas Monterey the two were traveling in Morocco at the same time of the Atlas Monterey and you actually met some of the participants of the rider in uh, a bar, a, a sneaky bar in Marrakesh. And actually I was telling mm-hmm. Max, Max, what the hell? Why? Because I was there working on the last episode of the podcast. Why didn't uh-huh. you tell me that you were there? But I would come and so I would have met also Alan in person before it was cool. Imagine. Because now it's super cool <laughs> to meet you in person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> before it was cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was one thing. So actually you were there when I was there. And actually the other part, and this is the ego part, the egocentric part of the story, seems like you told me that and there is also in this interview there is the same thing you got hooked into the silk road monterey during your trip from denmark from copenhagen to uh, portugal while listening to the silk road monterey's podcast was it always in your mind because you told me as well that you actually took part to some messenger career messenger competitions and stuff to put a bit on the side the back to bike touring part and going into the ultra endurance racing side yeah i mean 
I think Silk Road, Silk Road Mountain Race is a race that sort of stands super apart from from the majority of other of other uh, bike races in general, and, and also endurance bike races. It's really a unique thing, and especially with like the amount of bike packing that I've been doing, I definitely was enticed by this idea of like more and more grand adventures, and then also being on this bike tour. Uh, I mean, the other thing is I I, I watched the the, uh, the movie Wild Horses before doing this bike tour from the first edition of the race. And of course it's an absolutely beautiful film mm-hmm. um, that really tells a beautiful story of going to extremely different places um, and wild and rugged places and setting yourself this big challenge. Um, from a racing perspective, I will say that like um, I've, I've read a lot about, uh, you know, the, the, what do we call it? The transcontinental and also watched a bunch of movies about the, the late great uh, Mike Hall um, and really tried to get myself into this mindset of like, okay, racing it though instead of bikepacking it, like, uh, like, what's what's that about? And I, I, I still feel like it took doing it to really fully appreciate it because I feel like always I've not necessarily had this strong competitive spirit to cycling. Maybe also because I believe in this like every person uh, having a goal rather than a lot of the racing I understand from for mainstream cycling of being quite elitist yeah but going to but i was very enticed by silk road as it just being a really wild part of the world that would be amazing to discover and then when i did this bike ride to lisbon it was perfectly timed with the with the race and i could listen to the podcast every day um and and it was uh yeah it was so amazing to listen to and it really felt like especially doing this ride at the same time because it was when i was in the pyrenees riding my cargo bike up the pyrenees like three yeah. mountain passes a day it was like you know, I actually think I could do this. Like, I think I bring the right experience that I could do this. And uh, I might not have the bike for it or the stuff for it or, or know anything about how to get there or, or exactly where it is. Uh, but uh, but I think I could have a go. Uh, and, it, and it was really like, uh, yeah, it was really that that made me apply for it. And then very sort of fortunately, unfortunately, was, of course, the, the, the thing that happened the next year, uh, <laughs> the events of 2020, the, the pandemic times. <laughs> It's we got a, it for a great pandemic for a great cause um it delayed the 2020 version yeah. 2021 and, and of course that was uh, that was a bit that was disappointing but it also gave me like a whole extra year to acquire the right bike the right equipment and it really allowed me to invest my time in like in, in my sort of goals for the race um so it was actually in the end like yeah it was a longer process to prepare for um, i could have prepared for it in a shorter period of time but it was a bit of a luxury to having a bit more time to I wasn't expecting at the time to be traveling to Kyrgyzstan from Mexico as opposed to from Copenhagen, which is quite a bit of a longer journey. Um, yeah. But it ended up, yeah, like, uh, but also at the same time, being able to prepare for the race from Mexico actually was super beneficial because I was at, at a high altitude. Um, so I didn't have to do any altitude acclimation. Um, and I was in the mountains. So compared to being in Denmark, which is a relatively flat country, um, I was I was able to train uh, every day in mountainscapes at altitude. So that was uh, so. By some strange sort of a weird consequence, uh, I, 2021 ended up being like a quite optimal year for me to, to take part in something like this. Um, uh, yeah, and it was a it was an absolutely fantastic time. It was a, no. a truly memorable time. I mean, anyone you've spoken to who's done this race, like they'll tell you that it's one of the one of the sort of defining one a defining point in your life. You know, like. Uh, when when it's such a unique circumstance to be in um uh yeah it was absolutely fantastic uh, obviously the, it was very difficult um but all, so many of the really difficult moments were then like immediately eclipsed by like super beautiful unforgettable moments 
uh, that you are able to, in, like, in real time, appreciate that your hardest moments are not going to last that long. You just have to persist. You know, you just have to keep going, and it will end. You know, and you and there's so many good moments to it as well. And I and I eventually got around to this this point of view of like understanding the competitive element to it, where I found myself pushing myself a lot harder, of course, um, and then achieving much greater things than I had originally thought possible. Um, and all of my original goals for the race, I, I surpassed, you know. And then also just moments when you find yourself in like situations you would absolutely never put yourself in in a normal bike tour, but end up being the defining and, and most memorable moments of your race. And I, one, one of the real definers for me that I found myself sort of laughing out loud at the time uh, was, was um, got so many passes. I'm going to call it Mel's Pass. I'm pretty sure it was Mel's Pass. Which okay, is, uh, yeah, the Mel's Pass. The pass yes. before Konsu uh, Lake, if that's what it's called. Yeah, Konsu Lake. Three. Yes, yes. Um, and I caught up to Max, the wonderful Max, who did my Grab Grab interview in a town called Beethoven. Beethoven, by that point, I think we'd done like 100 kilometers and there was pretty much another 100 kilometers to go to checkpoint three. And it was like 4 or 5 p.m. And it was Mel's Pass to climb, which is a very big gravel pass. It's beautiful and though, you sort up of, there. Well, this is the thing. So it's very beautiful, but uh, obviously we were kind of running out of daylight. Um, and we found ourselves... Oh, also a funny story that happened to me in Beethoven is I was sitting outside a shop by myself eating some, like, you know, force feeding myself as much food as I possibly could. And a man, this man came past and he showed me his phone and he said, like, you're doing this? And he had the dot watchers up. He was this local village man in Kyrgyzstan. Wow. And he's like, he's like, you're doing this? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing so called Mountain Race. And he was like, you are, and he looks at his phone and he says, Max? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no, I'm not Max. I'm Alan. Is Max here? And he shows me his phone. I realized like Max is like just down the street. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to go see Max. <laughs> but he told me that he ran a small hotel and that he'd hosted Sofiane like two nights before. And he was like, I met Sofiane. He's number one. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, all know that number one he's doing great and he's like yeah, yeah. Uh, but bumping into Sofian fan in the middle of uh, and then and then so we were in there and there was sort of this recognition that it was like oh, just a hundred kilometers like we're gonna kind of have to push it and just get there like how are we gonna there's a bed there at a in a in a little teepee uh, or in a yurt excuse me uh like we're going, we can't just camp on a mountainside if it's so close. Like, it makes more sense to try and push. And you're thinking to yourself, like, oh, God, it's going to be so rubbish. You're leaving at 5 p.m. to go climb a, do 100 kilometers up a mountain. Uh, and, of course, it got super dark. Uh, it got extremely dark because you're in this mountain valley. And, uh, and I was listening to... I, I had my first internet for days in, in Beethoven, so I downloaded a bunch of podcasts and I was listening to BBC World News. Yeah, uh, in to the understand dark. what happens in the world. It was where I found out that uh, that that Kabul had fallen to the Taliban. I was like four days late on this fact. Fuck. Uh, so it was really like climbing up the mountain, being like, "Wow, what, maybe I should go back to shutting out the world." It doesn't sound like it's going great. I remember halfway up the climb, somebody uh, somebody off the road uh, smoking a cigarette with a small group of people in the pitch black shouted out to me, have a good race in English. Yeah. <laughs> There's more like locals on the road that somehow knew that, that there were cyclists coming, you know. Um, but we climbed up, I mean, we climbed up a big part of this mountain pass in this valley, pitch black with my lights on, listening to the news. And then you get to the section, which is the switchbacks. And it's gravel switchbacks, um, like so many. I think there's like 15 or something like this. Uh, and it's just at this point that the full moon came out from, from the side of the mountain and like bathed the whole valley in this bright, 
full moonlight to the point where you could turn off your bike lights. You had this like crisp shadow on the ground and you're climbing up all of these switchbacks in this beautiful, like full moonlight. And when you get to the top, you can, you see the view, this gorgeous, very, very sort of known view of Mel's Pass of all the switchbacks down into this glorious valley and out into the distance. But you see it bathed in perfect full, full moon. And it's just something so magical about it and so unique. And that's when I told you I was sort of laughing out loud because I was so grateful. Like, there is no circumstance if I was bikepacking this, if I was bike touring this, that I would have chosen to do such a beautiful mountain pass at night. I would no. never have done that. I would yeah. have stopped and waited for the morning. And yet, being able to do it at nighttime or forcing myself to do it at nighttime more accurately um, gave me this perspective on it I would never have had otherwise. And then you get to the top, it's freezing fucking cold. You got to put on all your layers and then you boost it down to the checkpoint three. I think I got there at like 11.45 at night, maybe even midnight. Um, And you have this insane sense of accomplishment of like, wow, you set yourself that, what seemed like very ambitious goal, uh, which was more ambitious than the goal you originally had for the day and and you just went and smashed it, you know. Um, And there's uh, so many experiences like this in in Kyrgyzstan of like, you you would never have chosen to do it this way bikepacking but you just decided that it was the best course of action at the time and you achieved something really great for it you know like uh, it was many many days like this and then many other days we were like what on earth am i doing <laughs> why i'm here yeah. i know absolutely this feeling actually i can tell you uh, a couple of things that i can say that actually i felt myself in the same situation even if i was in 2019 following the race mm. on uh, the media car but I felt such a tough gig, the media team guys. It's such uh, a it's tough not and I can tell it's you that not actually, an easy job. And they had this year's a lot of amazing, anyways, photographers. And then there was Brady there. So talking about that, shout out to Brady. I can't wait to see his film about it soon. Hopefully it's gonna yeah, come. No pressure, Brady. No, no pressure, Brady. There's so many people waiting for your film. Exactly. Are you writing him every day? I don't do it every day, but from time to time I write to him. Is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? Poor guy. Poor guy. There's so many excited uh, eyeballs waiting to watch that. No, no. But actually, I think that actually all the pressure is well placed because the his movie is film on the Atlas Monterey's of 2020. It was also great. Was yeah. amazing. It was yeah. super, super, super great. I got to know him. It's interesting how he did it as a as a long form as well, like uh, much longer than than Wild Horses, and still like a really great story to be told. No, yeah, yeah I think yeah. I, I wonder. I, I think he's going to try and surprise us with this so-called mountain race. Not to not to drop any teasers, but I think he wants to try and continue to like push the bar and do things quite differently with every with every piece. I, I uh, so maybe this one's going to be different from uh, from the previous formats by quite a bit. I trust him 120%. I know he's a great, great, great <laughs> no videographer. It's No, it's great. I talked with him once, actually in this podcast. The first time I talked with him, it was in this podcast some years ago. Uh, and then I met him in the, in Morocco. And I remember that I was in Mar- when I was in Morocco, there was him that was there. Uh, okay, of course, Nelson was there. All the people also, Johnny, the, the photographers I was in the car with. And I was thinking, ah, okay, Leanne was there as well. And I was there and I was saying, fucking up, that's like the dream team. That's absolutely the dream. <laughs> Think about Barcelona 1992, where there was uh, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Scottie Pippen, and blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, that's the really the dream team of the media people that can be there. It was super amazing. And I was there basically by yeah, chance. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and I think it's also should... like uh, I think one of the things that people don't necessarily tell you, or it doesn't necessarily get uh, expressed when we talk about Silk Road Mountain Race, is just how wonderful it is to bump into the media car or any of the support vehicles. Like on 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 a course so long, um, it's not that common to see the support cars. I think I saw the actual cars. Uh, maybe I could count like four times over the course of 10 days wow and they're very brief they're pretty brief interactions of course right? uh, and but but uh, and it's i remember i won't name the photographer in case it's a slightly unkind thing to say but one of the photographers talking about really wanting to get photos of people being like upset you know like <laughs> having a hard time like that's the kind of grit that, that you want a lot of the photos to sort of express because those moments are very real um, but inevitably, everyone just looks so happy to see you, you know. And it really is like uh, some. Of, I have a memory of some pretty hard moments. Uh, one of them being uh, Lee Naren, uh, the Scratch City Naren, uh, and approaching like a mountain pass to get into this China border zone. And it was this dusty, open valley that had a big rainstorm in front of me that really looked like it was going to just dump on me whenever. And it had a very intense headwind. And it was a section of like 35, 40 kilometers in this very intense, dusty sandball headwind. So obviously, like, it's not the most enjoyable. And it's rough gravel. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't have a mountain bike. So these kind of scenarios, you're just like, okay, well, put your head down, get through it. But it wasn't enjoyable. And at some point, I see this truck in the distance. And I'm like, oh. I think that's a support car. <laughs> no, yeah. And Ed jumps Daniel and Nelson and his dad, Chris. Uh, and we have a short chat. And it really boosted my mood so much just to have a short chat with, with human beings who spoke English. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember in that moment, I told them a very long-winded story about some very interesting podcast that I was listening to. And I made no sense whatsoever, but they were very entertained by it. <laughs> for my conversation i think if i have any starring role if it's uh if it exists uh, in brady's movie it's going to be talking nonsense because i was so happy to be in front of humans and i had so many silly stories to tell but uh a lot of silly stories <laughs> i'm super sad that i was not there though because i would have enjoyed so much your silly stories or nonsense stories let's put it in this way <laughs> to push a podcast together only about that Actually, I, I, I usually the one. It was just like spin the Rolodex, pick one out. Like I had so many silly stories. I was having such a yeah, yeah, yeah. such a lovely time. Yeah. Uh, I was having such a. I, I really did. I really feel like with Silk Road, like I did have my hard moments, and there was hard moments during every day. But for the most part, I just had the most lovely time uh, because because for the most part, things went really well. I was I, I was most nervous about mechanical problems because, like I told you, like it's just not a language I really speak. There's a certain extent that I can do. Um, but my biggest, my biggest worry was mechanical. Um, so I had this kind of like background paranoia for the first part of the race. I just wanted to, I had a fairly good start and then I just wanted to maintain where I was, you know, which I did for the most part do. And then the only downside to my race um, was that I got really sick in the last three days. I think the vast majority of racers get sick uh, and, and you're fortunate if it's not debilitating enough or early enough in the race that you end up uh, having, to, having to scratch. But, oh, my goodness. What was really nice for me is I really didn't want to set myself a goal any higher than finishing. That's not necessarily true. My, I had a goal of like 13, 12 days. Um, okay. That is, is high enough anyways. The, finishing yeah, that race slightly, is super high already motivation. Exactly. Inevitably, I knew, like, when I knew that I had sub 10 days in, like, in hand, 
for a lot of the race, then that became really enticing. And, and knowing that I could push myself harder than I'd originally thought, a sub 10 day finish was really tasty for me. Um, but then I got super sick uh, and I had like t- a two day period where I really couldn't eat very much and mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of toilets. Um, and it just meant that I was pretty weak and I'm pushing up the same mountains uh, with so little calories in your body. It just costs, it, it's really costing. Uh, and then I had the, the, the last, what would have been the last day? Uh, and <laughs> yes, as all the days are, it's pretty interesting. I got uh, 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 temporarily detained inside a Chinese gold mine by, uh, by the authorities, Oof. by the Chinese authorities. Uh, because apparently I didn't have any permission to be there, even though the guard let me in at the front gate with my passport. Uh, we did have permission to be there, but there was a confusion between goldmine officials. Uh, anyway, uh, and in this day, I just was not making the speed I wanted. And I knew that the last pass was essentially a seven or eight, eight hour walk, depending on how quick a walker you are. Um and I was going to get there at like four or five o'clock. So just when it was going to start to get dark. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like uh, the idea of doing eight hours of walking and then another two, three hours of riding to get to the finish line, starting at 4 p.m. on this empty stomach, feeling really rough. You know, you start, I didn't want to because as soon as you start coming out with the easy way out sort of options, then obviously they're like super enticing and you're like, okay, let's just stop now. <laughs> um, but it started to creep into my head, like, oh, look, like, do we want to finish this race? Do we want to spend the last 12 hours of this race so completely and totally miserable? Because this is what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to be totally miserable. Or for the first time in nine or 10 days, nine days, do we stay in the very last guest house before the, before this last climb? You get a, we sleep for 12 solid hours, try and get this out of our system. We charge charge everything to its fullest extent so we don't have to worry about electricity anymore. And then we start again tomorrow at the crack of dawn and we just make this happen. And that, that immediately just seemed like a much smarter idea and a much more enjoyable idea. And it set my like sort of competitive ambition to one side to look after myself and to know that like what was more important was finishing and still finishing in a respectable time. So I had my last night in a very nice hotel where I very much just slept uh, <laughs> pretty much for like 90% of the time I spent in this hotel. I had my first shower in nine days, which was also mm, amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously you want it to be at the finish line so you can arrive at the finish line like, like yeah. a lot of people did, like impressively dirty. Um, but I, I gave myself a little pee pamper. And then I got up at 3.30 in the morning because I'd slept for 12 hours. Uh, and then and then I made my way to, to the finish line. And that last pass, that last sort of eight hour walk was as brutal as I expected. And it was amazing sitting in bed, occasionally having Wi-Fi and occasionally waking up and checking the dots. And, and, and also when I had, after I'd arrived and watching the people coming behind me, like checking the dots at like, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning and seeing that these people are they're moving. They're maybe only moving two kilometers an hour. So it means that this 25 kilometers is going to take you like a very long time. Um, but it was brutal. I was so glad I didn't do it at nighttime. I was so glad I didn't do it. Like huge props to all. To, there's so many people that did that section at night. And uh, whew, it was just such a mental challenge to keep on walking because there was so many sections that you could also not really walk so easily, you know. Um, Shit. It was, it, you ask anybody who finished that race, like what, like it, it's been truly, truly up there with one of the most challenging points of the whole race, especially because 
at the beginning of the climb, you're less, you're less, you're maybe a maximum of 50 kilometers from the finish. You just can taste it. And then it just takes forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan, I have to interrupt you one second because I told you that actually the only constraint that we have is the battery of my phone. Phone battery. Yeah. Uh, sorry, everybody there, but we needed to have a little break because as I was telling you, the only constraint that Alan and I would have some, let's say the most tangible one was the battery of my phone. And it happened. Actually, my phone went completely out of battery. It's a kind of a new phone <laughs> and it was almost fully charged, but we did it. We, we talked your phone to death. Uh, we did it. We did it. And actually, I'm kind of the idea that you are the first one that did it. We were the wow. first ones okay. that did it. <laughs> but I'm a constant okay. here. I'm... You are the variable today. So I can blame you. <laughs> that's fine. I also am going to say that that's not a huge surprise. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. If any combination of people were going to do it, it might be me and you, Stefan. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We can try it again, again, and again. They can send us phones in order to make interviews and talk them to that all the time. <laughs> This is how we test the product. <laughs> there is actually this uh, YouTube channel that is bike packing. What? No, it's not bike packing. It's unboxing therapy. I don't know. Was the guy who was bending mm. the iPhones? We can bend the iPhones just with the sound of our voices. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, sounds like a perfect business. I love it. I love it. Uh, Silk Road Monterey. So I have another question that I want to ask you. So the first talk that we had about the Silk Road Monterey. It was, as I was saying, in August, I think it was, but it was straight after you finishing it. And we talked a lot about your kind of, your bonding that came out from it with Jenny Tuff. And I love the story that actually you were sending between, you tell the story. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I, I was super lucky to have gone to meet Jenny uh, before the race. And uh, of course, like, I met so many amazing people during the race. And I think also that a lot of the people you bump into and you share the experience with, like really make a lot of the experience for you. Absolutely. Um, but I also like, uh, uh, like was a bit sad that there wasn't uh, more uh, non-male participants. Um, and I also really wanted to, uh, like as somebody who has, you know, two mums and a twin sister and uh, like really enjoys uh, um, the company of feminine energy. I also didn't want it to be like, a full dude fest uh, for my experience in, in Silk Road so I, I found myself wanting to reach out to the other women uh, or to the, the non-males that were participating this year and, and try and uh, meet them and, uh, before the race and I was super lucky to get to meet uh, to meet Anna and to meet Kat and to meet uh, Jenny and not unfortunately didn't get to meet Bernarda um, but uh, yeah instantly hit it off with all of them and especially with Jenny I think partly her uh, living in Scotland for a long time but being from the west coast of Canada we had this kind of like super interesting similarity I was from Scotland but I lived on the west coast of Canada so we had this very similar we have a very similar sense of humor and I think quite a similar approach to to these kind of things uh, and yeah we, we kept in, in, uh, in contact before the race and, we were, uh, and then during the race first time I had internet I oh no we actually bumped into each other on day two and we rode together for a little bit, which was super fun. Uh, and then uh, the ne like never never saw her again for the rest of the race. Um, but first time I had internet, sent her a voice message to say that I hope she was doing great, and uh, and sort of just giving some words of encouragement and telling a silly story. Um, and then I found that every time I had the internet after that, I would have a collection of voice messages from wow. Jenny when she'd heard my message to send me 
more funny stories of the things that happened to her and the little complainies about the the silly things that happen and and the sort of like yeah just general morning sharing the experience telling the funny stories sending funny pictures uh, and it ended up just being such a nice uh, uh thing to share during the race and so nice like in these very few moments when you find internet when you're completely by yourself in the middle of nowhere and you have this like instant like connection with another person and a funny story that, that is so relatable because there's it's a shared experience right um and uh and yeah so we did this for most of the race it was super encouraging and then really nice on my when i on my last day when i finished uh when i finished the rough section the walkie section and did the descent and got onto the final stretch which was like a 20 25 kilometer section of, of main road just to get to the finish line um jenny was you know like a maybe a day behind me uh and oh, i think less than a day in the end but uh she was somewhere where she had internet and she turned on the she checked the dots and she saw that i was like less than 10 kilometers from the finish and and she called me and i had my headphones in and i spent my last like 10 kilometers of silk road mountain race like making funny jokes with jenny on the phone and it was just so nice to have because inevitably like a lot of this experience it it ends up feeling shared with your with your fellow racers even though you spend 90 percent of your time alone um but the connection that you make with other people is super meaningful and it and, and and it's that thing of like when you race solo uh, what what counts is outside assistance, right? <laughs> because any kind of emotional support, well wishes, any of these things do such a great job at moving, uh, lifting your mood, uh, and just having the ability to chat with people. Uh, yeah, it was such a mid lifter. It was really, it was a, a super defining part of of the race. No, that's super great, yeah. and actually, I love because. That's one thing, right? Everybody thinks about uh, ultra endurance races as a solo thing, and for sure, you're not getting. Of course, you're gonna enjoy your riding. You're gonna enjoy yourself getting exhausted. You're gonna enjoy yourself enjoying mm-hmm. the environment and stuff. But that's not all. You can really make mm-hmm. a lot of good friendship and good relationship with people mm-hmm. during that time, and that's something that probably we need to stress a bit more out. Absolutely, and the bond that you make with the people is like super unique. Uh, you know. You make a very strong relationship with people in a relatively short period of time because of the intensity of what you're doing, right? Um, and then there's also the time after the race that you get to enjoy together that you can like plan and enjoy and make funny, make funny ideas of what you're going to do. Me and Jenny went for manicures and dish cake after the race. Wow. <laughs> we had planned for a while during the race. Um, yeah, we had such a fun time. It was really fun. No, that's great. And also, yeah, and also with the other people you meet as well, you have like a really nice like post-race uh, period. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was very lucky in Kyrgyzstan to get to, I think I stayed, I stayed until like the 1st of September. Uh, so I stayed for almost a full week after the race and was lucky enough to get to be there for uh, Kyrgyz Independence Day. Oh, wow. Uh, where they had a big military parade in, through, through the middle of Bishkek. And then they also had a wild fireworks display, uh, which was my last night in, in Kyrgyzstan. It was like a beautiful way to round out the experience. Like Kyrgyzstan. Highly recommend for bikepacking. A hundred percent. I love people there. Yeah. I loved yeah. riding there. It's just amazing. Landscape are amazing. Nature is great. It's cheap, you know. Like there may there may be relatively few places with uh, with accessible shops, but the shops have all of the basics, you know. And it's and if you plan your your trips well, like it's really it's a really really amazing part of the world. And surprisingly, not that not that expensive to get to. Um, even for even from Mexico, like I. I think I ended up paying around like 1,100 US dollars return from Mexico City to Bishkek, which is like a very weird 
the other side of the world. Yeah, <laughs> I think that I paid yeah. around 400 euros going back from mm. Zurich to through wow. Moscow, and this you know it's doable. That's I didn't cheap. have that's I didn't cheap. have the bike to carry with me, but I think it was included in case. Yeah, that's cheap. Yeah, and then the experience once you're there is cheap. Manicures are cheap. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Also, the banya, they have this kind of, uh, I will never Aha, call it the, the banya, the spa. It's good and it's cheap. It's super nice. I have to say something that probably is not popular because I, I will sound like the classic picky Italian. Food can be better. Food can be better. I, <laughs> food can be better. <laughs> the only thing that I would say. I just think the other thing is like, you said, as soon as you leave Bishkek, like when you first come to Bishkek, you're like, oh, wow, this place is pretty out there. Like, uh, wow, kind of a, kind of a uh, exotic uh, middle of nowhere like not a very big place not necessarily like uh, lots of really good restaurants or these kind of sort of things you expect from a big city but then you go spend 10 days or two weeks out in the sticks of Kyrgyzstan and coming back to Bishkek is like it feels like coming to New York City man it's like a bustling metropolis like, absolutely uh, absolutely. Where the post, think... post race Bishkek was so much more impressive than, than pre-race Bishkek because yeah. I just had a whole new appreciation for like civilization yeah know? absolutely I remember <laughs> that actually after I spent 20 days out there in the mountains I think 17 20 days I don't remember and then I came back to wow. Bishkek and then Divan the other guy that was actually with me in the car that he was living in Bishkek I don't know what he does now. I've been not talking with him for a bit. And uh, actually, mm. he brought me to a cafe and he told me, here, cookies are great. And then having a cookie after 20 days of dehydrated food, the one that we called dog food, it was a great experience. <laughs> the dog food <laughs> and then the cookie. Wow. It was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't set my, my standards like super high for the experiences of local cuisine. I will say, but but uh, but equally, uh, during experience like so called, you will put almost anything in your mouth. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. and appreciate it. No, but yeah, yeah. really. The, as I was saying, I would sound like the classic peak Italian, and that's how I sounded. But on the other side, I think that probably it was. I live in Switzerland, so I kind of a lucky person for that. But still, the mountains there, another level. That's why it's called. I think that yeah, Kyrgyzstan absolutely. is called the Switzerland of Central Asia. There is a reason why. In so many ways, yes. In so many ways, no. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. So many similarities, even more differences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the beauty of it is really impressive. No, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's move to the other, the last topic. I would say not for importance, of course, but let's move on that. Mm -hmm. Alan. <laughs> Uh, actually, I will start with a straight question. Let's say straight question probably is not the right thing to say. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it was a daddy joke. Uh, I will go for the direct question and then we are going to go through another couple of things. Uh, gays okay. So I actually crashed into Gays okay for not the first time, but for sure the time that I could get some gears on that when I was in Sydney 2019 end of 2019 okay but i think that the project comes from before and it developed in the bicycle bike messenger career uh, community and now it's developing in such an amazing a bright way tell me more about that uh, first tell me where you discovered it in sydney like how did this happen i was walking it's 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 wait i probably know if i don't make a mess redwood i think is the name of the district uh, of sydney and we'll tell you in one second okay because I have Red a sticker. Fern? Yeah, I have a sticker 
Uh, Redfern, I think. It's Redfern, I think. Redfern, yeah, Redfern. Redfern, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Redfern, yes, exactly, Redfern. And I remember that I was looking around for a skateboard uh, shop and I found it. The basement is the name, pretty famous. Uh, and then close by or next door or something similar, I found this amazing bicycle. It was a workshop more than a bicycle shop. So basically it was kind of a garage. Everybody was super cool. Everybody was super friendly. And they had to go into a bicycle shop, kind of bicycle community. There was also a spot where there was something like, I don't know, nothing fancy, but a little cafe and stuff. And then I saw actually Jersey and Cappellino of Gays OK. And then I said, OK, I've never found it in yet in Europe. So I think that actually the project was not super old at that time. And I said, OK, it's here. I need to buy it straight away. And then I started wow. talking with uh, somebody working there for half an hour, 45 minutes about the project. He told me basically about you without myself knowing you. But he told me about this project starting Copenhagen <laughs> because of this, because of that and blah, blah, blah. And it was super cool. And now I have my t-shirt that, for example, I wear it on the party night of the Atlas That's Mountain cool. Race. All the time that I go in different races, I put it on me because I think that actually this is the support mm. that a project like this needs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah, it's got a very, like a lot of things I've ended up accomplishing over my years. It's got quite an organic sort of story. It hasn't been like hugely forced by me by any means. Um, but uh, back in 2016, so actually like five years ago, um, or, or longer ago, like a, like a bunch of years ago, I was at a Psycho Messenger Championship and we had a very interesting discussion in sort of like a forum uh, setting. Um, about uh, about more represent for non-males in the messenger community, our standard of how we talk about our non-male colleagues um, and then how we welcome them in, into spaces. And then I, yeah, I got into a lot of conversations about how we could also be doing that for LGBTQ people in cycling um, and how we could do that. And then uh, the next year when I came back to the championships, I just decided to make a cycling cap with, uh, with this rainbow design just said gays okay and the idea was first that i would go out and find the lgbtq people in our community and energize them and and lift them up and like uh, you know uh, fill them with uh, positive vibes you know and then uh, and then you know when i originally put it on sale i was kind of surprised that it, the the appeal of it as a because it it seemed to be really popular from the outset i had this feeling that uh, i really needed to if no one else was doing it, if this kind of representation wasn't being pushed by anyone else, then I should make a good go of it and uh, and try and try and spread it around. Mm -hmm. So in 2017 is when I started the, the the web shop, and I tried to reach out to a lot of bike shops and try and get it into bike shops and sort of uh, sort of have uh, have sort of a bigger effect. Um, and yeah, it's been like over the years, it's been a really good creative outlet for me. It's it's allowed me to. Uh, sort of create a lot of different designs also with the help from friends uh, and then part of the premise of it because I kind of felt guilty about having this idea that could money myself even though well, it's not actually that much money and um, I decided that, that one of the premises of Gaze OK would be that a portion of all profits would be donated to some kind of LGBTQ cause and um, so that it could our uh, you know our visibility and advance our um, our rights um, and also to raise awareness of different really interesting charities and organizations that do good work um, through selling fun cycling caps. Um, 
So it's it's been a really fun journey also because it really does bring so much joy to so many people. Like it's really rewarding to be able to get messages from people saying how how happy it makes them to feel this level of of uh, visible presence uh, and and to see the allyship. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we've sold many thousands of uh, bicycle caps by this point. Uh, and I've been able to do some really interesting collaborations with some bigger brands where we've been able to raise like quite serious amounts of money uh, for, for some worthy causes. Um, and yeah, I, the, the biggest part of it is I really believe strongly in this like positive ripple effect. That's what I wanted to ask you. Um, and it's a po- That's something yeah, that is super I mean, I was, cool like, because it's, po- it's a positive message. It's nothing that talks about something again. I, don't get me wrong. I think that actually a lot of association, a lot of uh, concept and stuff are doing a great job. But actually, I've seen a lot of things that are a bit more something to put against of. So not, let's say, a bit more a contrast kind of message. Yeah. Man, gays okay is probably the most simple and positive thing that you can say. And it's colorful. Yeah. You know? I mean, I never know. Like, I think in some ways I didn't necessarily always like try and envision myself through this project. I didn't necessarily try and envisage myself as an activist. Um, and it was much more about uh, embracing people and also about uh, creating like a platform for conversation. You know, like I think many people hold many ignorances about LGBTQ people and especially in cycling. And a lot of that can be due to people's just like lack of representation and um, But I think most people can can start from this position of like generally, I mean, we're in a fortunate position now in 2021 where a, a lot of most people in cycling can agree with the general statement, gay is okay. Um, but it doesn't mean that they don't hold a lot of like, uh, you know, subtle ignorances. We all do, um, although we can all work on it, right? Um, but what gay is okay does is it creates like this, this, um, the sort of open book that we can uh, agree on but it also also opens a conversation that can, can poke away at some of our bigger ignorances you know like i there is no litmus test for buying one of my caps so you can buy one of my caps actually if you don't know it yourself that you're a bit homophobic right but, but, if, but if you put on that cap people around you might be more likely to mention it to you you know and there's a real opportunity i mean the biggest part is this like visibility representation thing right and mm-hmm. um, And I believe really, really strongly in, in how what we all do with that once we have it in our hands. But the the ripple effect of that positive and simple message it can be really, really big. And I think the times that I've seen gays okay caps out there in the world, like it's really brought me a lot of hope that other people can see people wearing these caps and know that they have a place in cycling. Like what gays okay has taught me is not so much that we need to build a space. For, for LGBTQ people in cycling, but we just need to go ahead and take it up because the space is already there. Like there's so many queer people in cycling and amazing examples of, of other queer people in cycling, but, but they're not necessarily represented in our common image of the cyclist. Um, but that means it's, it's completely up to us to go and take up that space. Um, and, and, and for the most part, I think cycling is, 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 wel- is relatively welcoming If, you, if you're confident enough to take up that space. If you're not confident enough to take up that space, which is obviously super understandable, um, I like the idea that gay is okay is like a very subtle way of like stating your, uh, your allegiances and, and hopefully creating that, that space for conversation that people can sort of like educate themselves. You know, like it's, a, it's, for me, it's a really interesting project and I really like what I've been able to do with it. 
I have also been like working full time and running a like helping run a messenger company on the side. Oh, wow. so it's been it's it's been a lot to it's been a sort of like side project for me for a while, but trying to do the most I can with it. And then I think over the last more or less over the last year is when I feel like it's there's been a sort of snowball effect happening. Um where it's it's done a lot of good growth by itself and now I have a bit more time being in Mexico, I have a bit more time to to dedicate to to help it sort of be an efficient thing. Uh but yeah, super rewarding. And and I know that, you know, I've been able to send my caps to some of the most interesting parts of the world. Uh like actually have my well, my new favorite is I have now added the last continent on earth to my list because last week I sent a cap to Antarctica. No way. <laughs> yeah. 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 To the US Air Base. Um, That's amazing. Which is, uh, which is based. Yeah. 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 Um, the US, uh, the US uh, military base on Antarctica. Uh, there is a cap on it. And I like, I'm not sure if this person's going to use it for much cycling in Antarctica. Oh, no. um, but it's one of those. And I also, you know, I've had the. Uh, I've sent cabs to, to many different parts of Asia, to many countries where it's not even legal to be gay, where being a bit more careful about the type of packaging that I send it in and these kind of things. And, and I think that's another interesting facet of it when you take it from a global perspective. Like if there's ever been one sort of like interesting, I'm not sure if I call it criticism, but like observation, shall we call it, from people in North America and Europe is that maybe gay's okay is like uh, too simplistic a statement. Um and also from this this sort of activist activist attitude of like we should be very forceful with we should force forward our message and be completely unapologetic about it, which which I agree with. Um, but I also disagree that that gay is okay is a simplistic statement. Like uh, it's from a position of a privileged part of the world that we can make that assumption. But it's very relevant to say that it's still illegal to be gay in over sixty countries in the world. Wow. Um, and they and and then in countries where it is permitted, but it's very religious, like being gay here in Mexico is very different to being gay in Europe. It's very, very different to being gay in Kyrgyzstan and then across different parts of sub-Saharan Africa, like, and, and, and parts of, you know, South Asia, like, uh, from a global perspective, we've got to think in global terms and as a cycling community as well, like the diversity that we see in cycling should represent the sort of diversity of cyclists out there all over the place, you know? Um, and this is, this project is part of that. Mm-hmm. no that's yeah. super great actually I just want to ask you one thing uh, about that of many that I would love um, <laughs> but the point the, the four hour podcast <laughs> yeah we can still do it probably we can take something like this is gonna be one and then we're gonna get a follow up soon let's think yeah, about that we can do that yeah <laughs> no but actually the thing that I want to ask you because you feel pretty uh, convinced on that and you mentioned a couple of times that actually the cycling word is kind of welcoming in general and open do you really think so actually i think and you were mentioning before uh, gay is okay as a super simplistic simplistic message and stuff i don't really think that it's in the cycling world if we are probably staying in our bubble so i think your bubble my bubble mm. of the cycling that is even if i still feel the pressure of putting into this podcast kind of headline or mention most of the time that for me cycling is inclusivity a hundred percent. I need to feel this pressure mm. because it's not everywhere like this. But in my bubble, in your bubble, I think that actually gay is okay or in general kind of the inclusion, it's something really well established. There are many other places where actually in cycling, 
that is mm-hmm. not like this. If you go, for example, I don't know, hardcore road cycling. Have you ever heard of yeah. anybody talking about openly about being gay in road cycling? <laughs> I didn't. Mountain bike, maybe yes, but not so much. So, I mean, I think it's yeah. really needed, this kind of conversation that you open up with just a simple cap. Yeah. I mean, I think what I would say is, whereas I do think that many parts of cycling can be very welcoming, I think accessibility and representation are what they are, right? Mm. And, and I still think big problems with representation and, and with accessibility. Uh, but like you say, it depends on the bubbles you come from. Like I come from the messenger bubble. And actually, when you get down to the, 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 you know, the, the brass tags of the people uh, that you associate yourself with within the community, we're the messenger community is the sort of ragtag outcast from the rest of the recycling community in many ways. So it does sort of hold itself to different standards and different rules. Um, I have, I regard myself as quite lucky to have had quite an easygoing experience as a gay man. I am quite confident. It's also relevant to say that I am a cis male and the rest of the LGBTQ community outside of like, uh, you know, and, you know, can have a completely different experience of that. And that is something that we should also be talking about, right? Like, um, like gender conformity and ideas of femininity and masculinity also because also like female representation within cycling is is still a pretty shocking, but it doesn't mean that like female representation within, within bike messengers and also with the bike packing community can, can hold itself to a slightly different standard sometimes. Um, but no, but this is what I mean about it. Like I still feel like in the majority of, wider uh, circles uh, a simple statement like being gay is, is okay uh, is is still something that even even in the sort of most machismo and uh, road cycling groups they can probably reluctantly admit that yeah being okay is fine you know uh, but then it, it it opens up that conversation to the rest of the conversation right and 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 it's still it's still something that that, uh, that, need, that, that inclusion still needs to be fostered on all levels um but yeah i mean i can only speak from my personal experience and i think that i'm a pretty pretty friendly person and uh, a pretty unapologetic person and a pretty easygoing person and and for that reason i've had people be fairly receptive to me for the most part and not exclusively like i've also had my experiences of people being quite homophobic to me without uh you know in in some scenarios um but, but yeah, generally speaking, I would say that the cycling community is ready for the LGBT people to come and take up the space. It just needs some of these like confident and, and passionate voices to, to take it on. Like, I think we have the most amazing uh, examples in like Emily Chapel and Leo Wilcox Absolutely. as, as really like standout um, uh, women and LGBTQ people. Um, and also the, like, this much more relatable non-traditional image of cyclist um and i think that's often like a something that we can get a little lost in with with the sort of common and commonly represented and 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 sponsored writers is that um sometimes they're not very relatable right like uh and i think uh, relatability is is more and more important uh in a sort of the social media uh, sort of world and um, and that representation has to come along with it probably. um we have to tell compelling stories and everyone's got compelling stories. You can't just get them from, from the same, the same old uh, sort of models of people. Mm-hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. And actually something that I wanted to tell you, 
I didn't tell you because I thought about that a lot after our last conversation. I mean, our last conversation, something like this, something like conversation on the mm -hmm. phone, let's say. Of course, we talked a bit mm -hmm. more, something like messages and voice memo, for sure, but that's different. Um, I remember that you were actually describing me because you actually wrote, sorry, you actually raced the full Silk Road mountain race with your cap on, also to make aware everybody yeah. out there that probably the situation in Kyrgyzstan for LGBTQ people is horrible. Uh, we talked about the yeah, gay bar really being closed because of aggressions and everything. And actually a sentence that you said is that because I wanted to ride the full race with my hat as a confident gay man. These three words, one after the other, made me open really a word in my head because it's not that easy. It's something like, I would probably say that being confident is a privilege on whatever you are uh, that you need to have. And actually, it's something that probably you need to work hard in order to get. And knowing just with somebody wearing a simple cap that there is somebody else out there uh, that can actually probably represent me or just is it can be like me it's already super strong so yeah i just want to say thank you because you really opened a lot of windows on my thoughts when you said these three words confident gay man is not the easiest to get mm -hmm. in this way yeah i mean it takes a bit of practice I yeah you gotta fake it a little bit <laughs> okay Um, but it meant a lot to me to wear my cap. I was also very also it was great because it meant that my so called Menon cap, Men Ray's cap is in great condition because I never wore it during the For race. example. Uh, <laughs> but no, I was very happy to wear my my cap and, and I was also quite happy to see I mean, I think that fortunately, unfortunately, in a lot of these places, and this can also be true in other countries in, in Asia and around the world is that there can often be different rules for foreigners than there are for the locals. Oh, yeah. So it ends up being like a bit more semi-acceptable to be a sort of a non-traditional presenting human uh, than than if you're a local. Um, so people and people who were locals who who understood the cap, like uh, who were involved in the race, would would often ask me, like, "You really not have any problems?" Because they have this idea of their country as being very very homophobic, and it is like uh, the statistics in Kyrgyzstan are very shocking. Mm -hmm. You know, like something like I think I read that over eighty percent of um, LGBTQ people have experienced physical uh, physical violence um, for their sexuality, which is like an extreme, which is like effectively the vast majority, right? Mm. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, and I said this to one of one of the people when they asked me, you know, if I had any reactions, I said to them like, ah, oh, you know, I'm hoping that anyone who's ignorant enough to not agree with my message doesn't read English. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the local informs me that actually the words are exactly the same in Russian. So actually I had no safety blanket. Like I was, okay. I was giving the same message and um, which, uh, which is good to know, but uh, ultimately, I mean, you see so few human beings uh, relatively during That's the course right. of that race that people, uh, no, I had no problems and I was very proud. I was very proud to go and be myself there. And, uh, and, i guess in a way because of this like terrible statistic in a way i just feel so fortunate that, that the same reality didn't fall upon me but i it didn't mean i wasn't very aware of, of my surroundings you know yeah 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 alan mm -hmm. i think that actually we can wrap it up i want to say thank you for mm -hmm. this last message that you just dropped Thank you for uh, the positivity, as usual. Thank you for all the work that you're doing uh, around that. And thank you also for inspiring so many people in general of making crazy rides and crazy bikepacking trips also with a cargo bike. You are really great, and I am so honored of, had you, of having you, actually, uh, still on my ah, podcast. Thank you for having me. No, man, it's and super, super great.
debut of the new season. Uh, that's absolutely the message that what I like moment. actually to share most of the time. And super, super fortunate to have the possibility of talking with people like you and actually let people a bit more having some more thoughts. And I think that with two hours of podcast, they're going to have a lot of thoughts running around their heads. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to ask you the last thing. Tell us... Uh, just in words where people can find you or for example where people can find gays okay i know that actually you are uh, starting back because you are a photographer as well we didn't talk about photography so mm -hmm. much uh where people mm -hmm. can find your amazing photography or your amazing projects and everything else anyways the gofoundme link is going to be down in the description below so you don't need to mention that it's going to be there absolutely yeah thank you uh yeah i mean easiest ways to find me uh gays okay is, is gaysokay.eu uh, so that's great uh, that you can find me there. Uh, you can also find me on social media under Gaze Okay Cycling. And that's okay with an AY. Um, and then uh, you can find my personal page where you can see a lot of the sort of fun adventures I'm doing on uh, Alan Shaw Photo on Instagram. And that's Alan with two L's. Uh, and then there you can find the links to a lot of the other bits and bobs and projects that, I, that, I, that I'm doing. Uh, Obviously, for the moment, uh, projects are a little on hold as I sort of continue with my recovery. Um, but uh, many, many projects planned for, for, the, for the next year once I get back on my feet because it's nice to set yourself so personal goals. That's super amazing. Alan, thanks a lot. Enjoy your day, I would say. That probably is almost over. We started talking when it was 9 o'clock there in Mexico <laughs> City. Now probably it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> we got plenty of daylight <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah best of luck for your recovery and I can say it here we're gonna say it later talk to you soon yeah absolutely thank you so much say my love to the family I will I will I'm gonna go and kiss Camilo <laughs> in one second <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's great thank you so much let's speak again soon ciao 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 amazing person amazing projects amazing chat we had I'm super stoked of having had Alan as the first guest of the season number five of the Broom Wagon. If you liked this well, you know what you have to do. Go to Apple Podcasts and remember that you can rate and also review the Broom Wagon. And this is super helpful. Remember as well that you can subscribe to everything you're listening from. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, wherever you are remember that you can subscribe and as well remember that down here there is as well the GoFundMe page to support Alan on his repaying the expenses for yeah for the medical expenses for the nasty accident that he got also down here you're gonna find the page for buy Kigi where you can also drop your own coin apart from the one that I'm doing already from the coffee jar and also the coffee link where you can support this podcast on being independent as well you can also share it and that's super important go on social media and share it but remember to tag calamaro cc on the instagram that's another thing that is super important thanks a lot to have arrived till here thanks a lot to Kumut for supporting this podcast and we're gonna talk next week i think so bye